0: late so i'm gonna have to whisper this whole this whole fucking episode i'm sorry guys i just want to give you a disclaimer right now i'm just fucking with you no today i have a very very well respected guest with me today he was one of my favorite professors i've ever had in college he's a successful writer he edits a lot of a lot of books on philosophy He's just taught me a lot over the years and just shown me what a great mentor could and should be. I just want to introduce Dr. Lewis. Dr. Lewis, how are are you doing, my man?
1: I'm doing okay. It's a busy time of the school semester where teachers have five to ten meetings a day and You know, it's not the it's not the most glamorous thing, but I I guess it has to be done. So, Uh, but other than that, uh, everything's going great.
0: That's good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I've been busy with the podcast, with work, um, my fitness journey, volleyball, just writing. I mean, all of it. Just living a busy life, man.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's what you got to do. I was inter interviewing Rob DeLuca yesterday from UFO and Spread Eagle and Of Earth and Sebastian Bach Band, this musician. And as you can tell, he's been in a bunch of different bands. He just never stops working. And I ask him, why do you why do you keep doing it? And He's just like, I just I want to create. I want to continue to uh, do art and you know, love doing it. And so he just never stops seeking, I guess, perfection. Even though he knows perfection is Impossible. So I was, I was glad there are others out there like me. It sounds yeah. like
0: you too. Oh, absolutely. There's, uh, I mean, that's what you know. I have a bunch of like my parents and stuff. They'll ask me like, why are you like, why do you do so many things? I'm like, I mean, not only does it keep me out of trouble, but also like, it's just I love doing those things. You know. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, what else are you gonna do? Just look at a
0: telephone all day? I don't know, right? I already do that enough, man. That's something, <laughs> I've already, something this week I've been trying to work on too is like like staying away from my phone as much. I also, I thought about going to the extremity of just turning off my phone for the whole week. Well, I removed uh, some social media apps from my phone just because
1: it was taking up time, but also making me feel grumpy uh it was dampening my mood and i'm just i don't need that in life so i just turned it off and uh it took a few days of like well i need to check and see
0: what people are doing Mm -hmm. Uh, and but after that it's i've gotten used to it was it was it hard to get used to like during those first couple of days like just like getting out of the habit of like looking at your phone all the time
1: yeah i mean well i don't spend a lot of time on my phone but uh I would sometimes get on just to see if there was some interesting news stories or to see what my friends do because I've got a bunch of friends that I follow and uh, they do some interesting things. But, you know, it so easily becomes just a realm of negativity. And then, you know, it's almost like uh, stopping at a wreck, right? You start looking for like, what did these people say? Or, you know, how can you let me look at the comments on this post and you're just like you know you shouldn't do it but once you do it you're just amazed at what people say and think and uh it just i would rather spend my time reading or playing music or doing something productive so absolutely yeah
0: i yeah that's that's one thing they call it uh i guess different aspects you use it but going down the rabbit hole yeah you know um just like you said you get on a post you're like oh what's this person saying then you're getting engaged and then that's just feeding into that energy and it's just at that point you're like man it's not even worth it anymore yeah i mean it just uh, creates unnecessary stress yeah with uh, i know you said that you didn't really look at your phone all that much i know probably me somebody that looks at a screen all the time with like playing video games at work just being on my phone so much just as a young person and that normally does uh, I find that my eyes like start hurting after a while from looking at a screen. Does it change any from like reducing that time?
1: Uh, probably not. I mean, I spend enough time looking at my computer screen because I'm uh, especially during the school semester, I'm reading other people's work, but then just in my everyday life, I spend a lot of time writing, uh, taking notes and that sort of stuff. So I, I get plenty of screen time. I just don't, um, I don't look at a phone a whole lot. Usually when I'm on my phone, it's if I'm getting messages uh, either through email or messenger, Mm -hmm. I've got a friend I play chess with in Birmingham. And so I like to keep up with that and then text messages. But then I never got in the habit of looking at video after video. I know that's a, a habit. I've actually done that once or twice last month and I was just like, what did I, that was two hours of my life of just, um, looking at videos and, uh, uh well, they were good videos, but the other time I did it, they were just all just negative about, mm-hmm. uh, police violence and, uh, people every day being, people being violent about masks or about other things. And I'm just saying like, that, all, all that did was make me upset. Right. I, yeah. didn't need that. I didn't need that in my life. So, um, so yeah, I never had that, that addiction. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. And it
1: is an addiction, but
0: uh, it really yeah. is. Does, I know that you did a chapter in the book of what is it? The ethics of anger. Is that right? Right. And uh chapter was the repentance and the right to forgiveness.
1: Yeah, well, I, well, that's actually my my forgiveness book, okay. Uh, Repentance and the right to forgiveness, and the ethics of anger. I talk about, uh, I examine the idea that we should remove anger from our uh, moral perspective, and I look at different uh, arguments for that. Uh, I don't know if I, well, I don't know if that's humanly possible. Although <laughs> some people seem to do it, but. It's an intriguing idea and so that's what i looked at in the ethics of anger was uh, the possibility that anger isn't
0: necessary for human development and flourishing Mm -hmm. that's uh that's one thing like with my with my dad like he's probably one of my best friends like that's who i coach volleyball with you know he's the one who got me into volleyball and stuff like that but he's one of those people that's just like always angry and i'm just like Isn't that exhausting? You know, like just to carry so much anger and like hatred in you to just like like in a like instant you can be so like bloodshot red. I never I I don't get it.
1: Well it's easy to be angry. I mean there's there's if you think about the world as imperfect and so anytime there is the slightest I don't know hiccup or slightest sort of barrier to your happiness it's easy to be upset about and so one of the things that I've noticed is that and I I love teaching kids this or trying to is that if you look around most of the adults you see are just angry Uh, and they seem to be angry over mostly other people's lives or angry about things they can't control and so they just spend their lives and for me that it seems like or at least my goal has always been if you fill your life with enough meaningful things that are you know, positive then right you're you're not going to have a whole lot of time to be angry but if you if you see life as meaningless or if your life uh, lacks i don't know the sort of stability then anger becomes very comforting because it keeps you going I mean, you mentioned volleyball sports is is a an instance where anger can be helpful because it's going to motivate you Mm -hmm. to be competitive, to win. But a lot of times it's anger ends up being sort of like your smartphone, where it's just a way of taking up space and time because you have nothing else to do. Um, Smoking. Right. I, I used to smoke when I was younger. And usually it was simply because there was nothing else to do. I was bored. And so, well, I'm driving in my car. Let me smoke a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need that, right? And um, there are ways to avoid those sorts of harmful or negative things uh, that are, I mean, it's a challenge, whether it's smoking, drinking, being angry. it's, uh, It's a challenge to move beyond those.
0: That's one thing that I was, like my um we just started our travel season in club volleyball so we just had our first tournament this past weekend and i would say the practice or two going up to that um tournament was you know the things that you know in the capital that were going on stuff like that and i wasn't sure how aware they were of the situation but i threw in there in our like topic of discussion in practice was like Anything that you do in this game, in life, in school, anything, only focus on the things that you can control. You know, don't don't let the things that, that are out of your control get in the way of your mindset, you know, just of anything. You know, like say if a ref made a bad call or didn't make a call, which usually happens. Um, you know, we had that happen this weekend. My girls are upset. I'm like, it's beyond our control. Like, let's just go on and focus on the next point, you know. So I, I resonated with when you were seeing that aspect.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a, a Buddhist monk who visited Owensboro last year, a year before last. And he stressed that, you know, anger is one of those things where you can spend your life developing a, a peaceful and a, a life of integrity. And anger can destroy your life's work in one instance. Simply because you, you know, you lash out at someone and I, just, I sports work nicely here because you can imagine a ref makes a bad call or another player does something and then you respond in anger and then all of a sudden penal, your team's been penalized or you're kicked out of the game. It's just not worth it. Uh, yeah. It's not always that easy, right? I played soccer when I was younger and I remember we played this team uh, called, they were called the Ladies in Red. And uh, they had a certain attitude, right? Any team uh, that any boys team that would call themselves the ladies in red had a certain attitude. And, of course, we were called the rogues. You know, we had a certain attitude, too. And we clashed, and it was not pretty. And by the end, uh, I snuck in a good uh, punch to one of the other <laughs> players. And I did not get caught or penalized, but it was – it, and it felt really good at the time. I regret doing it now, uh, except that, it, you know, I still have those memories of that was really fun, but yeah. mostly because I got away with it and I didn't cost my team, uh, a championship. So.
0: That's interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. Huh? I would have never thought.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm uh, out of the Lewis's. I, I think I'm the best at controlling my anger. Uh, my older brother, has not always been the best at controlling his anger. I'm I'm a little more calm and patient. Um, I don't know why. It's, I I think it's because I'm the youngest, and I tried to learn from my two older brothers.
0: I understand. That's a that's how I was talking about like my dad. Early. That's how I I think that's why I am the way I am because I'm like I don't want to be that way. You know, it's just too it's too exhausting, and it takes up too much time. And like you were saying, space and energy is just not worth it so i think i think that's why i am the way that i am as well right so you were talking about uh the repentance and the right to forgiveness was another book of yours is that right
1: yeah it's um, a book that i i authored the entire thing it is came out i guess a year and a half ago and it's the culmination of the work that I started as a PhD student in philosophy and uh, took many years to to fully figure out what I wanted to say. Uh, and finally, I was able to, to put it together into something that I thought was good and uh, even tried to stretch myself, especially near the end uh, when I discussed things like reconciliation. And so, hopefully, my next book, or at least one of them, will be uh, on some sort of uh, reconciliation. Since you, you know, we ended up uh, we we mentioned anger, right? I started out discussing forgiveness in my school work, and I was presenting on forgiveness. And one of my friends, who's a colleague, was doing the same thing. And I guess uh, two thousand sixteen or 17 we finally decided because of the way the world was and people were just angry all the time we said well let's spend some time discussing anger because obviously anger is i mean anger often leads to wrongdoing and then wrongdoing requires forgiveness so that's why we we edited the collection the ethics of anger and we've got another one coming out called righteous indignation that deals with uh, christian understandings of anger but It's funny how all our anger stuff started with forgiveness and the complex uh, interpersonal and other features of forgiveness and what's required and uh, what's healthy and what's ethical about forgiveness
0: okay so with being a philosopher how has that either influenced your what's what's the word I'm looking for, your journey to spirituality or how did it like ever influence you Away from spirituality? You know, I I feel like a lot of people are intrigued by the idea of people that are into deeper thought processes than just your average human being in the spirituality and also out of spirituality.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a good question. Um, I'll try to provide some some insight. So, uh, philosophy does provide a space in which you can analyze anything from a, a fairly objective viewpoint. So that's that means apart from emotions, apart from religion. Of course, that's uh, f- impossible to fully do it unless you're doing just logic or mathematics. But philosophy is so reliant on the mathematics of logic that. It does provide a space to separate from your own desires and emotions uh, from your upbringing whether that's religious or not Uh, i grew up in a very uh, religious home and heard lots of stories about forgiveness Uh, forgiveness really didn't come into my mind as a intellectual pursuit until i read uh, simon wiesenthal's the sunflower when he as a a prisoner in a, a nazi concentration camp encounters a SS soldier who is on the the brink of death and he asks him for forgiveness. So here's a, a young Jewish boy who's being, you know, existing in a concentration camp with death all around him. And here is his, you know, is uh, the person who's wronging him asking for forgiveness. And so it's a great book, The Sunflower. And it is i read that and i said okay right i want to do something on forgiveness with my philosophical work and it took many years for me to really figure out what that would be because i didn't want to just do something that was uh specifically religious where you know say well the, the the new testament says this or the hebrew scriptures say this I wanted to really dig in and approach it from a philosophical perspective because there wasn't a lot of work in terms of philosophy on forgiveness. It's mostly either psychological, religious, or self-help. A lot of self-help stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it took many years. I finally read a book by Nicholas Wolterstorff called uh, Justice, Rights, and Wrongs. And that's when I sort of captured... Uh, the idea that would become you know my my work in philosophy and ethics is the notion of a theory of rights that's based on human needs uh, with a goal towards justice or peace. And then how does forgiveness fit in a concept of rights? And to the best of my knowledge, I am the uh, first, I, I, you know, and as soon as I say that, I, somebody will find somebody before me. But I, I will say that I was unable to find any fully fledged rights theory developed around forgiveness, and so that became my goal was to examine forgiveness purely from a theory of rights, uh, specifically the rights theory uh, that I call or Nicholas Wolterstorff called Irenaeism. Uh, but it's really a peace ethics. So it's it's peace ethics is much easier to say than the Greek Irenaeism. Yeah, uh, it's
0: easy.
1: It's easier to spell too. So uh, peace ethics. Uh, so yeah, that's the goal. Now there's some controversies that pop up, and that's what I spend my book discussing. Because if you think about a uh, theory of justice with rights and wrongs, when somebody wrongs you, um, th- you come up with what I call the repugnant implication that there are instances where a victim would be obligated to forgive. And we can imagine all sorts of instances where that would be repugnant, right? That's, we just, that's not even fathomable to some people. And so that's what I deal with mostly in repentance and the right to forgiveness.
0: That's a, that's a really interesting like concept as well. You know, how, how much time do you think you spent on that over the years?
1: Well, I read uh, Walter Storff's book in third No, no, that's when I graduated. <laughs> uh, it was like 2007 or 8. Uh, I'd have to check the publication date I, I, whenever it came out. So late 2008 or so. Um, and so then it took. It took a while, uh, really, to flesh all of that out. Um, But by 2010, I was definitely working on it. And Nicholas Wolterstorff was gracious enough to answer emails and even talk to me. We went; I went to a conference a few months before I defended my dissertation, uh, where I got to ask him some questions and even presented some of my argument uh, to him and. Uh, he thought what i had was good i mean it it wasn't what he argued it was something different but he enjoyed it and gave me some good feedback so uh somewhere around 2008 or 2010 uh that's when it uh, really began and then it it really didn't all come together until 2000 uh see the book i finished writing in 16 so it was it would probably be 2014 uh, that or 15 when all of the ideas really came together in terms of what i was trying to say mm-hmm. and um that's what i always try to teach students is that right you you start early and then you develop things over a long period of time because hey, that's that's what ideas do right you, you don't rush you don't rush perfection,
0: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, no, right? My stuff's not perfection, but I did my best. So
0: it's a, it's a different, different definition of perfection.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, there are two concepts of perfection. Uh, one that is without blemish, right? You think about perfection as otherworldly; it's without blemish, but there's a concept of human perfection that one strives towards perfection. Uh, and so uh, that's what I strive to do in whatever project I'm working on
0: absolutely I remember when I I think the first class that I took of yours was philosophy of uh, pop culture yeah but one of my biggest things like as a student which I'm not a student anymore but as a student I always resonated better with either the teachers or professors that were trying to teach more than just the curriculum or more than just what was in the book. And going into my younger adult years, you know, being able to be independent on my own and form my own thoughts and, you know, concepts and everything like that. I also remembered your class and just like all the things that we were like going over and the ways that we were using our mind differently. And that's that's why I always loved your class and your teachings.
1: Well, thank you, and uh, I mean that's the goal. And you know, there are some classes where you say, "Okay, you've got to learn A through Z uh, before the semester's over." And in philosophy, you know, I I might want you to learn A through Z, but we might just make it to D, right? Yeah. <laughs> we we might just be able to get through the first couple of things, and and that's okay, right? Um, as long as you're you're making some sort of progress in terms of a fruitful dialogue, and that's always the goal just just to get because a lot of the questions I raise in those classes are questions I still have Mm -hmm. and so that's what I like it when students engage and think about the questions too because that helps me understand them better
0: yeah absolutely that's you can always tell and I'm sure you've also had your fair share with going to school for Uh, many years is just you've always been able to tell those teachers or professors that were like into it and that were just there basically just to go through the motions.
1: Right yeah you had those um, and then you had the you know those who just struggle right you could tell they were into it but they just didn't know how to teach and so uh, that's what I always I think is funny I love the looks on students faces when you know you tell them that Yeah, college professors aren't taught how to teach, right? That's uh, your, (laughs) there's no requirement that they know how to teach. They're hired because they got a degree in their field. And so uh, that's why sometimes you get uh, people who can, are better communicating their material to others who aren't. And then some who are, they're just there for the money, right? They, um, and it's not a whole lot of money, but it's, if you're not doing your work, then any money's good money.
0: (laughs) Yeah it's very true it's very true um with with you being a creator you know the music the art i was uh, getting ready for this podcast i was looking like all over your blog ah um you know very interesting i enjoyed what i read and everything that i saw if um if you don't mind uh or you know before we get off of here drop in that link for us that way the people listening can check into that yeah. Um but I remember seeing, you know, all the art and everything that you put together. As a creator, I understand, but there's people that, you know, don't. How was it to your first creation to put together? Like like was you afraid to like do it and put put that out there or what?
1: Yeah, so a lot of it depends on, on what it is. So in terms of philosophy, I grew up in a, a community that probably didn't value learning basic skills, of uh, the English language, and I can't blame the school system. I, it was partially me too, right? I, I didn't care. I just wanted to get out of school, and that's why I skipped a bunch. And so... Uh, when I went back finally to school, it took me a long time to actually get to where I could write uh, in a in a decent way, using correct grammar and punctuation, and I still have to work on it, right? Doing things like not ending a sentence with a preposition, uh, not using what... Um, passive sentences. I've had lost so many points in college for passive sentences. Uh, And so it was a struggle. It was a lot of work for me to do that. But I always had this goal that I did want to do some writing. So I was like, I'm going to have to learn it. And so that took a, a long time and it involved lots and lots of failure. I was perfectly fine getting up and Presenting. So, getting into a conference and presenting was never a big deal. So, when I the first time I presented, I really wasn't that nervous. Uh, I knew what I was talking about, and so I just talked about it. But the f- getting something published that I had written took a lot of practice. And if you dig deep on my blog, you'll see some some stuff that I wrote in a graduate class. And so I'm sure it's poorly written, some book (laughs) reviews and stuff. I would, I, I'm tempted to go back and edit it, but I'm like, I don't have time and uh, don't really care that much. I mean, those are, (laughs) those are books I read for a history class. They were interesting, but um, I've got other things I need to focus on. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it took a long time. And even as I started having success, so I started publishing in the pop culture Books uh, in monk and philosophy was the first one uh, i was I had that imposter syndrome, right that I was convinced that they were going to find out that I had no idea what I was doing and that they were going to you know rip my chapter out of the book. Uh, but it it wasn't until really a few years ago where I gained enough confidence that I realized that i'm I'm a decent writer, right i'm I'm not William Faulkner or. I'm not Charles Bukowski or um, you know J.R. Tolkien or anything like that, but I I can communicate ideas fairly well, and I enjoy doing it. So I became more comfortable with that. In terms of painting, I'm so ignorant about art and painting that I'm just like, yeah, I like this, right? And and so for me, showing my paintings, uh, there are ones that I, there are some that I like better than others and you know that was one of those ideas i'm like well it's a blog i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out my paintings yeah Uh, and so there are a few that i think are really good and some that i think that are junky that uh uh, but i like them and that's all that matters Mm -hmm. now uh, as a sort of final one i did record an album a couple of years ago that was one of my life goals was to record an album uh and that's when i Uh, they're all original songs but i had to teach myself how to record and there are not only record but produce and mix the album and at this point i'm unsatisfied with the final uh, product i like the songs and i like the cover Uh, it was a, a drawing i made in high school i was really depressed listening to music and uh drew one of my favorite little pictures but yeah, the songs, you know, it's funny. I listened to the one, the first songs that I recorded and produced versus the last ones. And the last ones, you can kind of tell I was getting the sound right. And so uh, that one, embarrassed is not the, the right word, but I, I really want to polish that up and uh, do like the the big fancy music musicians do and say remastered, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, but yeah. So it really depends on what I'm doing. I'm pretty. Um, I try to listen to that voice in the back of my head that tells me not to do stuff, mm. and then do the opposite.
0: Absolutely. And so,
1: yeah. So, um, yeah. My, I think my, my writing has been uh, probably the thing that I'm most insecure about. Uh, but even that's changed, uh, over the years, even though I, I do struggle, right. Getting into academic journals, I've never cracked that nut, but, uh, writing and editing books, you know, I, I can whip them out. So,
0: yeah. and
1: uh, you- I do, right. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I'm going to take a break. I think,
0: uh, Okay. Is there, is there a new like work in progress that you've been working on that's or are you thinking about just like taking a complete break?
1: Well, I, I you know my if my wife is hearing me, she's probably laughing because she knows I, I never take breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so i finished up. I do want to take a break from editing. I've got uh, the the second volume on the uh, righteous indignation so Christian perspectives of anger. I still have to review pages and do an index for that. I am working on a book. I actually was trying to work on the title of it today. It's a collection uh, on forgiveness, uh, from underrepresented perspectives. And so it looks at how forgiveness addresses, uh, racism. And that's my chapter deals with that because my son is of color. And so here I am, a uh, a white Southerner who grew up in a racist home and who's you know spent most of my life um, overcoming those racist uh, beliefs and ideology and so here is my son that I'm at some point going to have to teach him lessons about racism and my own past uh, and then have to teach him of how to forgive right um, and that's hard to imagine uh, I'm not sure how that all plays out so I'm I'm working on a a book chapter Uh, that might turn into a book but it's it's a book chapter now of me dealing with just those issues Um, and so that is a book that'll come out next year and then in the um, i'm i'm doing a chapter or an encyclopedia article on futurama and philosophy that's just kind of a fun chapter and then. sorry
0: Sorry, i didn't mean to interrupt you when i had your class I can't remember if it was Futurama or not, but I remember it was, yeah. yes. yes. <laughs> I, I remember that for, I, it was probably like 2013, 2014. I don't know how long it's been, but that was one of the main things that I've always remembered.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I've been, uh, uh, the, the article, it's part of Paul Graves' Handbook to Pop Culture and Philosophy, it's online. And so they've got some of the articles up, but it's one of those things that I uh, have been meaning to do, but so much has been going on in 2020 that I just haven't been able to until recently. So I'm working on that. And then in the back of my head, I'm working on a my next book, which um, will deal with peace uh, and uh, really reimagining personal responsibility. Uh, simply because personal responsibility was always a catchword of the, uh, the sort of religious right or political right, libertarianism, um, th- those sorts of social and political movements when I grew up. And it still is in many circles, but when I look around and I think about what people do in the world uh, and their ethical approach to the world, uh, even though they they praise personal responsibility as this, you know, the, the foundation of their actions, I see very little personal responsibility. So uh, I'm hoping to figure out, I, I, I'm wanting to put together personal responsibility. I want to put that together with uh, the type of peace ethics that I've been dealing with, with forgiveness and anger, uh, but then also look at reconciliation And really, just imagine what it would look like for for us to be reconciled, uh, both interpersonally, uh, but also on a broader social political level. So, so that that's the big project, sort of in the back of my mind, that I'm going to move to the front burner uh, once I finish those other editing projects.
0: Okay, okay, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to remaster my album. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: that's a lot. But like I said, you pump those things out, though.
1: Yeah, well, my approach is this, right? So I used to procrastinate a lot. I think most people procrastinate. And the way I procrastinate now is, I, you know, I always have at least three or four, maybe more projects available and open to me. Um, and like right now I've got two conferences that I'm planning, uh, and so, and I've got school. So what I do is when I procrastinate, instead of doing nothing, I just work on one of those other projects. Okay. So my procrastination is always productive. Uh, maybe that should be the book that I write, right? That'd be one of those self-help bestsellers, right? Um, productive <laughs> procrastination.
0: It could sell. Yeah. I feel like you could uh, write a lot in that book
1: yeah i i don't think it it wouldn't inspire me though right i would just it would be one of those things where i could type it up in a couple of paragraphs and say here it is um and you know to 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 actually put together 100 or 200 pages of of that don't know if i could do that
0: um, <laughs> understood with your blogs I, like i said i was looking over it earlier is there always a typo in your post?
1: <laughs> it's not intentional. Okay. <laughs> but 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 I do find that every time especially with emails, I'll sit there and I'll write an email and I'll read it over to ensure there are no typos and as soon as I hit send, I will see a typo. <laughs> or if I make an announcement to my students, right? I'll read it over and I'm like, "Okay, it's clear, there are no mistakes." But sure enough, I'll get the email, the announcement, and I was like, there's a typo. So um, I knew that that was one of my, I knew that was something that happened. So I said, I'm going to put that in my blog to say, hey, I'm not perfect. And uh, maybe you'll read and maybe you'll find a typo. So yeah, typos are are prevalent uh, just about everywhere. Uh, but I, I, I've not gone back and reread my posts since I've posted them, so I don't know if there are or not. Um, that is one of the scariest things when you write a book or publish anything. I'm sure you experienced it uh, with your own uh, work that once it's out there and it's this nice like hard copy, you know, it's going to be around forever forever. You don't want to find mistakes because if you find mistakes, those mistakes are going to be around forever. And you're just, so um, like when my uh, when my things come out, I I would start reading them at first, but then I've gotten to the point where I don't because I'm like I don't want to find a mistake um, because I've had that happen where uh, it was my fault or it was the editor's fault and. Yeah I just you just kind of have to laugh at it right? I mean we are we're not perfect so
0: um
1: but yeah I try to I try to avoid mistakes but I realize they're out
0: there. Yeah, both of my books. Both of them.
1: Yeah. Mistakes. Yeah, I mean yeah. Well, I think uh, that that uh, evening I came and saw you at your book signing. Uh, you were talking about the cover being off, you know, it wasn't exactly how you wanted it and I'm just like, it's okay. It happens. Right. It's, um, that's part of the creative process.
0: It is. It was, I'll tell you what, putting the second book together, uh, the cover again, gave me so much trouble and I I fell into that anger. I was getting so angry. I was like, I have a deadline. I have to hit this deadline. And it just wouldn't work for the longest time. I still didn't get it figured out. The girl that made the cover somehow got it figured out. Thankfully for her, I'm very blessed. But it was almost, it was a hassle, man.
1: Yeah, those covers, uh, yeah, there's, I had one that went really easy. And then uh, I think that was for my uh, Tom, no, uh, it's the uh, way of the doctor book that I published and did the cover for, uh, that one went fairly well, but then I did an easier cover. It was mostly like black with boxes. Uh, and that was just, I mean, just tedious. It was because of the spine was so small, but it was just big enough that it kept messing with the requirements. And so, um, yeah, that stuff can make you angry.
0: it definitely made me, made me angry. It was one of those things that after I got finished, I was like, there was no point. It didn't make it any better. It made it worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what's nice with uh, the, the last couple of books I've published have been with Lexington Books. And with them, they just say, all right, uh, go to this website, pick yourself out a picture. And they basically do the rest. And so... It's nice when uh, a publisher does the, does that work. Uh, especially, uh, one of the nice things about Lexington, they're an academic publisher, but they actually hire proofreaders and others to go through and try to catch things that, you know, I, the editor, might have missed or the author might have missed, or even making suggestions about how things should should or could sound better and so i thought that was really neat i enjoy that that takes a lot of stress off of me
0: it does that's that's one of my near goals is to actually get published by a publisher but i mean until then self-publishing will just have to do have to do the job
1: yeah now self publishings
0: good i think it's underrated
1: um you know, the, to me, the big two biggest barriers of self-publishing is distribution. So, uh, the ability to get that into a store where somebody might actually look at it and say, "Hey, um, let me do, let me do that." But then, uh, the the other aspect uh, is that sort of minutia of the cover and um, you know just all that fine tuning that goes into a book and. Right. there are companies you can pay to publish your book. And uh, you know I, I've known people who've done that. Uh, and you can pay people to make yourself covers, but uh, covers can be really expensive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it, they're not always what you want. so it's it's a, it's a labor of love. Uh, but if you you know if you're able to, uh, self-publishing, I mean, my Futurama book has been self-published. Uh, And it does extremely well in terms of uh, people finding it and buying it and reading it. Uh, But then the book I wrote uh, about The Way of the Doctor, which hopefully uh, I'm in talks about a publisher actually picking that up. Um, But, yeah, it's hard. Fans haven't been able to find it. And I've even done some advertising. uh, But it just – I've not – I've not hit the market right. And so I've, I've got a friend who does that. He's written several books and uh, he's got several books that are really good sellers, but there's one that's really near and dear to his heart about, um, it's called from fanhood to manhood. He's like, I just can't get people to buy it. He's changed the cover. He's done all sorts of different things, uh, but people just aren't interested in it. So
0: it's a good book. What is
1: it about? It's about, uh, well, a lot of his stuff is autobiographical. Uh, He's a philosophy PhD too. Uh, But he, in fanhood to manhood, it's his argument uh, about um, people's addiction to sports and giving up that addiction or replacing that addiction with more meaningful stuff. So uh, for him, it's, it's about his journey From this avid University of Tennessee volunteer fan uh, to really just giving up on sports uh, to spend time with his family to do meaningful pursuits like write books. And then he looks at the sports psychology, uh, you know, how they get you into sports, how they get you addicted to sports. And uh, so it's a really neat book, uh, but. It's hard, right? You talk about people's sports, uh, their teams, they get defensive, and um, uh, they it hasn't sold. Uh, but he's got some other great books. It's Matt Deaton, uh, and he uh, there's a, a Year of the Fighter, I believe that's the name of it, where he talks about his attempt to uh, do a professional kickboxing match, uh, pro- professional boxing, and a professional jujitsu. match or MMA match uh, before he turned 40. Uh, And it really goes back to him being bullied. Um, And so it's about his life of being bullied and him joining the Air Force and uh, eventually his attempt to do those three things before he turned 40. And it's a fantastic book. Uh, I think that's probably his best. So
0: This sounds like a really interesting book. I can see where people get so tied into their sports to where they're very egotistical about it.
1: Yeah. Well, for him, the moment that uh, changed his life was after uh, Florida beat the Volunteers in football for like the 14th year in a row or something. He he caught himself yelling at, I think, a trombone player uh, for Florida's band, like just uh, hollering, you know, you idiot, you moron, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he realized that anything that would drive a sane person uh, to act that way towards anybody, but especially a football game, you're yelling at the trombone player, um, that you should reevaluate how you're spending your time in life. And again, that's a great example of what we talked about at the beginning, where he was letting anger rule his life because right, he couldn't just enjoy the game. If his team lost, he would be angry for a month or two or a year. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's like, You gotta give that up. If that's if that's what sports are to you, you've gotta find something healthier.
0: i actually that's funny because I've been finding myself into that routine here lately of like I play fantasy football, you know, I have my sports teams. Yeah. I, I found I found myself getting angry when my people wasn't performing my team wasn't performing well, just like you were speaking of. And then I got to a point where it was like, like we were speaking earlier, it's beyond my control. I'm not the one out there playing the game.
1: Yeah. You you get angry at the person because they're injured. You're like, why do you have a broken leg? Get out there and play. I need these points. What are you, what are you doing? Um, I found that out when I was younger and playing – football on i guess PlayStation or it was probably Nintendo and PlayStation but um i guess it was PlayStation when i really real uh, recognized cuz i think it was Madden you had a bunch of cheat codes or whatever the little cards or you could like even if you're losing the game you could slow down the clock and do these just crazy things and so i found myself unwilling to lose games. And I realized at some point that I, that was transferring over to my real life experience of being a fan of the saints, uh, back when they lost every game. And so I, you know, it was, I caught myself telling them like, use the cheat code. Uh, and so I said, all right, these playing a video game is influencing how I enjoy sports and reality. And so uh, at that point, I even struggle with it now. If I'm playing Madden, uh, that I will want to turn the game off before I lose or not save the game. And I'm like, no. If I do that, I'm you know I'm not learning the lesson, right? It's okay to lose. Uh, you just have to you know get back up and play again. Just
0: turn it right back on and play. <laughs>
1: that's right put in some cheat codes and try again that's
0: That's That's, that is hilarious i think so many people could could resonate with that and definitely connect with it that's so funny you have a you also have a podcast is that correct i do it is uh, rock and metal is it profs profs
1: like professors yeah Got
0: Yeah. got it
1: yeah Yeah, we're the rock and metal profs and it's a, uh, it started really with uh, the history professor uh, Matt Oshbach and myself talking about, well, going to concerts and talking about music, especially on the drives there and back. And at some point we said, hey, we should do a podcast. And then like two years later, we finally sat down and said, hey, uh, let's actually do it. And so yeah, we're up to I think uh, episode 16 or 18 something like that and um so yeah, it's of course I moved I moved from well first there was a pandemic and so we started doing remotely and then I moved so uh, it's it's a little bit different doing it several you know miles away but mm-hmm. it's still fun to, to communicate and talk about the things we love rock and metal and we look at it from a historical perspective but then also do some philosophical analysis and um yeah what, quite enjoyable
0: it does sound very enjoyable i'll have to tune into that for sure i I love rock and metal music it's great what what is i don't know because some people don't know if they have a favorite album but what would be one of your favorite rock and roll albums
1: yeah i mean that's uh that's a hard one right so um yeah i have such a varied musical taste so i mean my favorite bands are stuff like uh i mean the grateful dead bob dylan uh but i'm also a big fan of megadeth um today i was listening to fugazi and uh which fugazi People should listen to. They're a band from the late '80s, early '90s, kind of a post-punk uh, band. Uh, but Fugazi. I was listening to Queensrÿche and then listening to UFO and Spread Eagle. Uh, it's a lot of that because we just did a just recorded an episode on Spread Eagle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then last week I was listening to to Body Count and Ice T and Public Enemy. So. um, yeah, it's it's hard to say, right? I'm I'm a I'm a huge Kiss fan. I just my my most recent book is Kiss and Philosophy. It just came out of a, uh, a few weeks ago, and then uh, yeah, I just love music. It's just it's good stuff. Um,
0: do you do you feel like music like speaks to you different than it does most people?
1: <laughs> uh I, I sometimes feel that way but you know after attending you know uh, one or 200 concerts uh, i did it i tried to count them up uh I, the more i realize, there are lots of people out there that that hear and recognize the the power of music and how it's it's kind of a pure sonic emotion right it's it it does it has certain power right and even if I were, and I'm not, a, a materialist, right? That there were, there is no spirit in the world. Uh, I think music is a an argument against pure materialism, uh, simply because of its emotional effect on uh, our lives and the meaning that it fills our lives with. So, uh, I'm tempted to say that yes, that's true, but uh, that I'm, you know, it speaks to me differently. But I know so many other people that it speaks to in that meaningful way
0: yeah i i mean i feel the same way but there was a girl that i work with we were talking about music one day when we were hanging out and you know i was talking about all this music and i was speaking of bluegrass specifically you know i was like it could be like the worst day in the world but i can throw on some bluegrass and just like the vibe of that music can just like make me have such a good day and so i don't like music doesn't do that for me. And at that moment, I was like, does it just like speak to me different than it does most people?
1: Now, there are definitely some people um that yeah, music just doesn't it doesn't click with them. Uh, my wife is one who enjoys music, will listen to music, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't touch her soul in the same way that it, it touches me. It's like when I talk about Jerry Garcia, I talk about him as air conditioning for the soul, right? That it, there's this just cool breeze that makes you feel good, um, about life. And so, uh, there, there are some people out there, you know, I've recently heard that there are people who don't have that kind of inner voice, uh, where they question and think about things. And I'm like, those, those sound like some sort of weird alien species, right? I don't understand what that would be like. So, um, uh, yeah, my I can't turn mine off. I can't turn the music off, right? I'll be hiking in the woods, and my wife will catch me playing air guitar or drumming with my hand, and she's just <laughs> just enjoy nature. And I'm like, I am. I'm just singing a song to it. I've got my theme music.
0: I'm just saying, I'm the same way. Like I go to the gym, and I put my headphones on, and it's a it's just a whole nother world at that point. You know, I'm I'm there working out, but i'm not there as well you know once i put those headphones in like whatever i'm listening to at the time is just taken over at that point so i i just don't understand because i've always been one that's like music has always moved me whatever you know genre i'm like you i'm just like a wide variety variety of music listening but yeah Whatever music i'm listening to is just always made me feel some type
1: of way yeah I mean yeah there's just something that's one of the things I enjoyed about doing the Kiss and Philosophy book is that I'm a huge Kiss fan and so I was really excited I think I wrote five or at least four chapters in the book Uh, but uh, you know I stretched myself to to really question what makes us like music what sets it apart from other things and so I found some really neat stuff from people like Arthur Schopenhauer, who I'd never really read before, but him talking about the kind of mystery and magic of music and how it's one of the few things in life that repetition is good. Uh, For instance, if somebody said the same thing over to you again and again, you would get tired of it. You would get bored with it. But a song, right, can say the same thing over and over you can listen to the same song 20 times and it'd still be enjoyable. And so, um, yeah, there's some really great stuff out there. Um, philosophers dealing with with music and trying to understand why it's beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. So have you been to, i seen your cover photo today. Have you been to the Ryman?
1: Yes, yes. Uh went there as a kid on a tour. Uh, and they still had the old hee-haw set up there so um hee-haw is an old tv show if uh, (laughs) if your listeners aren't aware of it uh but you can google it it's a silly uh country hee-haw show uh, with some really great musicians but uh yeah i've seen several shows there downtown nashville uh it's just a special place to to see a show and um yeah, the last time, last couple times I've went it's to see Josh Ritter who's just an incredible singer-songwriter who he loves music and that's that's one of the great things when you see him perform, he's just so happy and just genuinely excited to be performing in front of people. So
0: The Ryman is probably my favorite venue I've ever been to. I've been there I would say about four or five times in the past probably about 6 or 7 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, I love that they call it with the, the church of country music. <laughs> I mean, but it's yeah, because it feels like a church, right? You go in there and there seems to be a an energy or sacredness to to the the venue and the stage, no matter who it is. Uh, and so uh, I'm glad to be back in Knoxville because they've got some the Tennessee theater, which is fancier than the uh, Ryman. Uh, it's not as I don't think as special as the Ryman but it's still just a magical place to see a show and then they've got a little smaller place called the Bijou just down the road uh, that gets a lot of uh, a lot of great acts and looking forward to live music again I I miss going and seeing and supporting I've been trying to buy albums and stuff uh, during the pandemic to, to help out these artists and stuff but uh can't wait to for them to get back on the road
0: the way that you're talking about uh josh ritter i feel that way two of the artists that i've seen they're probably like my top two favorite artists i've seen them both at the Ryman. minute city in color and then tash sultana um tash is that same same vibe like she makes all her own music she plays multiple instruments and loops it and just her energy onto The stage that she's performing—it's that's exactly where she is supposed to be at that moment of time. Hmm. Yeah, I
1: I don't know if I've ever um, heard of Tash Sultana, but I have to check it out. Sounds like a—I saw a band open for Jeff Tweedy and uh, the. Person got out there and just did these loops. And I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, She had a a fiddle, uh, but and all this other stuff, but it was just amazing.
0: That's that's my favorite. It's just like whatever the person that's doing, like the thing that they're doing, whenever they know that that's wholeheartedly what they're supposed to do, it's just how could you not love it?
1: Right. Yeah. And that's one reason I wound up the lead singer of our band. which was court and the jesters was because, uh, there were better singers, uh, but I got out there and I performed because I really enjoyed what I was doing and I would sing and I would dance. And, um, even if I didn't remember the correct words, I would make up words that fit. And, uh, so, so yeah, they put me out front because I performed and that allowed them to sit back and, Uh, do nothing (laughs) except play their instruments they're really good at that
0: but uh, is there is there anything that you can't do I mean you write you edit you act you (laughs) you know
1: well uh, I don't play piano and I've always wanted to learn and I've got my I'm in my new house and it's in Rockford Tennessee but I've got my little music room and I've actually set up my keyboard that I had back in the 80s it's one of those nice old 80s casios uh i've always wanted to learn how to play piano and so uh i'm hoping to 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 tackle that so that's you know when people say what do you not do i don't play piano but uh i hope to hope to solve that one of these days
0: i'm sure i'm sure i'll get added to one of those procrastination lists that you got going on
1: (laughs) well yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to um the the only issue with that is that I've got a 4-year-old and so uh when I start playing music, he comes down and is playing too. So, uh you know, learning um, learning becomes teaching. So, maybe we can learn together.
0: Yeah, that's sure. Was it was it his birthday not too long ago?
1: Yeah, just a couple days ago. Uh, oh, turned you- 4 years old.
0: Yeah. Is it how how has that,
1: you know, changed your life? Oh, I mean, it's been uh been a, a crazy drastic change. It uh as the well, a couple of things. I'll say that when he was first born, there was the moment where they brought him in the room in the little little buggy thing. And so I had one of those moments where I was like, okay, am I going to approach this as kind of a self-reflection? Am I going to approach this child is one of these like fragile, breakable things, or am I just gonna grab him and and you know embrace him and just have fun? And so I, I decided there I was going to do the latter, so I just yanked him up uh, because I said he's not gonna break, right? he's 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 tough. So I grabbed him up, and it's really been that way ever since. I did have to learn how to process new emotions. That was a, a struggle. Um, and I, re- I didn't realize it at the time, but it, I guess about five or six months in, um, my hands started itching, and I thought maybe it was uh, from the diapers or some sort of you know we lotion him a lot, so I'm like I don't know why lotion would make my hands itch, uh, but it would come and go, and so I just thought that was really weird. Um, I later I actually found out uh, several months ago uh, because my mother had moved in with us. Uh, She was 81 and couldn't take care of herself really. Um, And so she moved in and after a few months, my hands started itching and I started itching in other places and I found out that it was anxiety. Um, So uh, my sons taught me to to deal with new emotions, which as a philosopher who prides myself in my ability to be objective and non-emotional, Uh, That's been a a learning process. Um, Yeah, just because of the vulnerabilities, right? Uh, If you're all alone and you're isolated behind your own little wall, you don't have to worry about being vulnerable. But when you have friends and family and people that you love and care for, you're now vulnerable. And so it took me a while to, to come to terms with that. And instead of turning to alcohol and other things, I... I was open to it uh, with my wife about how I I was, I told her I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not used to these emotions. I'm not used to not being able to control my emotions. And so, uh, so yeah, that, that took some time and still, still working on that. And uh, so, but yeah, he's a joy. He's a blast. He, uh, he's a bigger Dr. Who fan than I am (laughs) And, (laughs) and, and loves
0: music. I didn't know that was possible.
1: Right? Yeah, I didn't either. But he he gets up in the morning and he's like, "Let's get dressed," and he'll put on uh, his boots and a scarf and a hat, and he just wants to play Doctor Who all the time. And I'm like, "I've got to work." Um, so that is one reason why I'm I am cutting back on my writing project, or at least my editing projects, uh, so you know I can focus on playing with him more.
0: Mm-hmm. That that time, Cameron can not be replaced but you can always work on those things and like later on
1: right right
0: that's um one thing i've tried working on like in the past year or two is just trying to like live in the moment you know just like take things for what they are instead of what they could be right enjoying enjoying life you know
1: yeah that's a good lesson uh it's it's kind of that old carpe diem um the problem is, or at least the problem I've found is other people want schedules and commitments. And so they won't, they'll be like, well, what about this week? And what are we going to do next month? And what about this? And I'm like, man, if I think about all that stuff, I'm going to get stressed out. Right. It, it'll happen. Right. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> Let's deal with it when it happens. And so uh, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I'm taken as being, I don't know, flip it might not be the right word or not caring, but are being unprepared yet. I'm always prepared. Mm -hmm. I just try to deal with the things that I can deal with first and let those other things happen. So,
0: Absolutely. Have you ever heard of Duncan Trussell?
1: I don't think so, no.
0: He's a comedian, but he also has a podcast. It's um, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. He has an animated show that's also called The Midnight Gospel. It's on Netflix. Okay. It's based off of his podcast. Super interesting. Very deep intellectual, you know, just talking about, you know, death and, you know, just stuff like that. Working on yourself. Just, it's very interesting. If you ever have the chance that you get to check it out or even listen to any of his podcasts, they're very, very good he's he's who made me want to start a podcast okay Yep. very good
1: i had to check it out i have a cousin who's he's all i mean he seems to know every comedian he just is i think well i think he wanted to be a stand-up comedian growing up and so um i'll have to see if he has has listened to or heard duncan trussell i'm So I had to check that out. He looks familiar.
0: He's very, very intellectual. He's a little out there, which I think would resonate with you. Yeah. Um, But his stuff is just very interesting to listen to.
1: Well, I had to check that out. That's what I like about the uh, pop culture and philosophy class was the people sharing the different things that they enjoy and what they found interesting and so uh learned a a lot of of stuff that I would have never found because of that class Mm -hmm.
0: well Dr. Lewis I really appreciate your time spending with me I know that you're a busy man especially right now with school and everything
1: yeah and it's my it's actually my son's bedtime and he usually uh that's I I get to read him books and he loves to cuddle so
0: that sounds like the best way to end the night it is. If, if there's just at least like one thing that you could have our listeners, you know, take away from this conversation, what would it be?
1: I think it would be back to what we were talking earlier, uh, that, you know, find that thing you love or that you're passionate about that uh, fills your life with meaning and work your ass off <laughs> uh, t- trying to achieve that. Right. Um, and right. Right. People are going to say no, and people are going to put up barriers. And sometimes you have to readjust uh, what it is that you wanted to do, but stay true to that thing you love, and work really hard for it. It, uh, it, it's not going to happen overnight. But uh, if it's something meaningful and important, uh, those years will fly by, and before you know it, you'll look back and say, "Oh, I did that already. I need to, I need to find something new to do." So,
0: yeah, one. When- one conversation I had with a buddy of mine that I had on the podcast, he, he talked about how he was a uh, barber and then he opened up his own barbershop and he was talking about how it's not magic. Like it doesn't happen overnight.
1: Yeah. And, and somebody's not going to come do it for you. Right. You've got to work on it. Uh, and yeah, sometimes while you're working on it, you decide that that's not what you wanted. Uh, and so you have to, you have to be brave enough to change course. Mm-hmm. Um, and love one another, right? I, man, the world is...
0: It's so rough right now.
1: Yeah, just res- respect and love one another, right? I, those seem like such easy ideas and concepts that are just seem lost a lot of times. So
0: it really does. Speaking on that, before we hop off of here, uh, I know you spoke to it earlier, but just that when I had my book release show and you showed up early because you had something that you had to do, but you came by and got a book uh, from me before that we had even started. You know, I I still talk about that moment to this day. It was one of my (laughs) my favorite moments and memories that I have, you know, from my writing journey. It just, you know, it wasn't the people that were there when it was on time. It was the fact that somebody cared enough to come early, even though it didn't fit in their schedule to come by and support. So I want to say thank you for that. And it's always stuck, stuck in the back of my mind. I really appreciate that.
1: Well, you're welcome. Um, you know, that's it's kind of what it's all about in terms of you live life and uh, you think about others and think about how you want to be treated. And it's amazing how those little little things, right? Or they seem like little things are important uh, because I've had many of those happen in, in my life of uh, people who step in and do things. And, it's like, oh. and even my wife who remembers like her first grade teacher giving her some candy for no reason, right? That uh, was something special and important, so i you're welcome. i'm I'm glad um, um I'm glad that was uh, impactful and I was happy to be there i uh, i was would have been sad to not be there. I remember it was hot
0: <laughs> it, it was seven, I remember because it was my father's birthday, so I remember that it was it was very hot. you were right. I was in a button up t-shirt. Good God.
1: Yeah. I was, yeah, I was dressed up for whatever I was going to, I was dressed up and I just remember cause I walked from there to where else I was going and I'm like sweating, uh-huh. uh, but it was worth it. I'm, um, heck I remember you giving me a copy of your, um, I guess maybe a rough draft of that book or some of the writings that wound up in there and reading that on a plane ride over to, uh, to talk about Doctor Who, right? So uh, there are lots of little connections there.
0: It is. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you and your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, knowledge, and your life with us.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thanks for having me on, and uh, hope your listeners enjoy.
0: As well. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, where can they find your blog at?
1: Uh, the blog is CourtlandLewis.WordPress.Com. Um, I am uh, the the Rock and Metal Profs uh, has a Facebook page, and uh, is on different platforms. I don't know them all. That's that's Matt's job, uh, but you can find that. Um, and then my books can be on found on Amazon. I've got a Amazon page. You, Cortland Lewis. Uh, There is a uh, podiatrist uh, by the same name, but look for the philosophy stuff, not the foot stuff.
0: Awesome. Well, we will definitely have those links all in the description of the episode. If you guys are interested, check into it. Like I said, thank you again, Dr. Lewis. You guys have a great night. Much love.